Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And we're going to be talking about data, data, data today uh, as a part of our conversation with Amy Trower-Nick who is a professional learning specialist at ESU 13, and Melissa Engel, who's a network operations coordinator at ESU 16. And so we get some cross ESU collaboration in the conversation today, which I always love and appreciate. And so thank you, Amy and Melissa, for joining us for today's conversation. Let's take a quick moment here from the top before we get into talking about data and the data cadre here in our state to just kind of get a sense of who each of you are and what you do at your respective ESUs. And so uh, we'll go in order and we'll start with Amy. I am Amy Trowernick, as Andrew said, and I am out of ESU 13 in the Panhandle, which is the western end of the state. I serve 21 districts, 15,000 square miles, and we typically, in my job, what I do is I work with assessment, accreditation, accountability, and data. So that is my role. I never a dull moment, I'm sure. No. (laughs) (laughs) All those responsibilities. Uh, And Melissa, if you would take a moment to speak a little bit of your work at 16. Um, Yeah, I am in the network operations department, so I support technology for our districts. My job has changed a little bit from technology training to supportive advisor. I support a lot of advisor and power school, which entails data. So, and then I've been on the data cadre since it began. It's a good group. Well, and that's going to be the focus of our conversation today uh, is that topic and how it kind of was NDE and is an ESUCC and NDE thing. And really we can label this cadre as being a part of really the Nebraska state data cadre broadly uh, and maybe getting into the backstory with that a little bit. And so, yeah, if we could, Melissa, will you maybe expound upon that and give us a little bit of the history of this particular cadre group? Yeah, we began with an SLDS grant, a federal grant for data that went to the different states in 2012. Um, Sue Anderson from ESU3 way back then wrote that grant, and it was always a collaboration between NDE and the ESUs, and we also had included post-secondary at the time, and we've done a lot of work. We started out um, with Victoria Bernhardt's model using data for continuous school improvement, and we implemented those protocols across the state at continuous improvement days with NDE that they sponsored, and we would do sessions, and we would work with our schools on that model. So currently, we have ESU members and NDE members, and again, we've had post-secondary higher education in the mix there, too. So we've tried to be inclusive with data from PK to 12. We've invited early childhood to also participate, so I think we get a good cross-section. And I know I'm probably getting a little bit out of order here from what we're talking about, but before we get too much further into this, I would want to ask, what kind of data are we talking about? Is this something that kind of meets the needs of the present moment and the initiatives that are out there? Is there some ongoing pieces? I I realize I'm probably, again, deviating from where we were headed, but curious to know that from the top. Um, Typically, it's all types of data sources that help schools and educators with their improvement efforts. And so it's student data, it's program data, it's process data, it's perceptual data, it's any type of data that schools can collect and use to improve their initiatives. We collaborate with the Department of Education because they also have initiatives, whether it's accreditation, accountability, those different things. Assessment, of course, is a big one. And then we um, use the data that the school 
schools have in collaboration with the initiatives. And then that way, when we get together and we hold our conversations, we can find ways to better help schools use that data. Go ahead, Melissa. Yeah, no, that's good because the Victoria Bernhardt model addresses four types of data, demographic, student learning, program process data and perceptual. So we, when we work with schools, we try to get them to look at all of those. And a new one that isn't necessarily in the model, it's probably under program is behavioral because a lot of schools have a lot of that data now after PBIS and Swiss was integrated into their districts with EduClimber, the dashboard, they use a lot of that behavioral data now. So yeah, so those are the four types, the four main types that we focus on. Well, and can we go even a little further into those? And so uh, for the people that maybe are not familiar with those four, and we'll say plus one with the behavioral fifth, Mm -hmm. uh, can you speak a little bit more specifically to each? Because perceptual data, I have, I think I know what that means, (laughs) but to break some of those down. Um, Surveys, it's the surveys they give to their stakeholders. So it could be surveys of students, teachers, community, you know, it's those kinds of how do, do their stakeholders perceive their district and the job they're doing? And then the demographic data would be, you know, how many male students, female students, you know, free and reduced lunches, mm-hmm. uh, race, ethnicity, all of those different things. You also look at with the program and process data, are the programs that you're teaching in your school working? You know, if you purchase a certain intervention, is it working with your students? What data are you collecting to show that that program works or is being used with fidelity? And so we've got the demographic, the program and process, and then like Melissa mentioned, the perceptual. And then the other one uh, that Victoria Bernhardt talks about is the assessment data. And that's one that most schools focus on. And so it's not just about student achievement data. Uh, it's test, not about test, the test. Yeah. Yes, test scores are important, but are. We, we have to we have to look at all the different types of data to triangulate it. And then Melissa, well, I'll let you talk about the behavioral as well. Yeah, and and behavioral is a big is a big piece now because all schools are struggling with that, and and the statewide effort to put PBIS Swiss data in the schools helps them be aware of that. And as they incorporate dashboards into their data collection, PBIS behavioral data is in there. The one thing I wanna say about program process data though, it's sort of the hardest one to look at, but it's also the one that schools don't necessarily look at because your program data can be your bus schedule. It can be, do you teach calculus first period when kids are awake or eighth period when they're you know, having a rough day, it's the end of the day. So that program process data can be a lot of things. And a lot of those things do affect the other assessment, the student learning data. And so that's when I always try to get my schools to think outside of the test scores because test scores are one thermometer there, but there's a lot more to the school environment and the kid's day than just that test. So Absolutely. And that just makes me think of all the little nuanced levers. And then to think about how I would imagine by, I'll just use that levers piece, by kind of moving or pulling on one that it could then dislodge or enhance another like aspect of what's going on. And without the opportunity to record and track or measure in some way, the impact that that's having, I, I think it would be quite the challenge to see broadly what is happening based upon the current focus efforts that you're making or not. Am I saying that right? I'm just, I'm, I'm yeah. yeah, I'm curious to learn it. This is great. Yeah, no, it does. It, it, there's, there's so many things in a student's day, you know, that influence their learning. 
And so schools really have to take into account all those factors, I think. And that's to me where the data cadre comes in is schools have data. They're inundated with data, but then are they using it correctly? Do they know how to look at the data? Do they know how to analyze the data? And so we get together as ESU, as NDE, and we talk about data. It's not that we are the ones creating the data or we are the ones creating the initiatives, but we come together and we collaborate on, okay, at this school, they're doing this. That could you know, really be a process that would help other schools. Mm-hmm. Or the Department of Education says, we have this initiative come out. How can we implement it in schools to get the best results and the best improvement? And so they bounce ideas off the people in the data cadre. And so it's kind of just a collaboration of how we can better help our schools and get the information out where it needs to be. Uh, I love that focus that, uh, and again, our ESU programs impact in this way statewide, right? That there are times where you are working with a specific leader building district on things that are specific to them, but then being able to do that within your region certainly gives you perspective as the service provider uh, to be able to learn from and pass along the, the, those lessons learned across those respective districts, uh, schools, and conversations. But then also to pay that to our statewide level with the department and be helping to inform them on their decision-making process going forward. Am I capturing that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good example of a statewide organization that shares and because we all know there's no new thing, right? So so when you're getting together with a school looking at their data, there could be something that I don't know how to do. I can call Amy and say, how did you deal with this with your schools? And everybody shares and everybody benefits from that. Well, and I do know that there has been a like vision or revisioning maybe uh, for this particular group. And so, uh, Amy, could you speak to that a little bit to maybe point our conversation into how this cadre sees their work through that lens? I can do that. We, um, like Melissa had said earlier, we started in 2012. I joined the data cadre in 2015. And not that things are outdated, but we just felt that that was time to update our mission, update our vision, include more folks, include more initiatives in different departments. Our old mission and vision statement surrounded typically accreditation. And accreditation ties to school improvement. School improvement is accreditation. But on the other hand, school improvement is everything. I mean, it is so much more. And so in March, we held a meeting and representatives from the Department of Education and ESUCC, ESU folks that are on the data cadre met. And we came together and kind of revisioned, came up with a new mission statement, reinvigorated the work, I guess, so to speak, as, as we came together and we talked about, you know, where do we want this to go? What do we want this to do? And how do we want to help better serve our schools? And so we talked about everyone that that we work with. And we've got educators from administrators to teachers, to students, to anybody that is a stakeholder in, in these schools and education. And we were trying to come up with what is a good mission statement? What is something? And honestly, it's data literacy for all. When we got to talking, it's, you know, the students need to know how to look at their own data. The teachers need to understand data, the administrators, the, the parents, the external stakeholders, everyone. And so we just came up with very simple data literacy for all. And that is truly what we feel our mission is. And it's for all folks in all areas, all initiatives, and all collaborative efforts. 
we do have included, we talked about ESU and NDE. We have included also some higher ed folks in the past, and we try to include one person from every ESU. So it is, even though Melissa and I are co-chairs and we are out West, we do have um, the majority of our membership does come from the Eastern end of the state. We have folks from several ESUs, Department of Education, We've got Mickey Scharf from accreditation, Shirley Vargas from accountability, Allie Martinez from assessment, Kim Schneider and Ryan Rickenbaugh sit in from educator effectiveness. And so it truly is trying to encompass data literacy for all in, in all areas. So then the focus then for the group would be that for those folks who are a part of that, because that cadre consists of individuals from a number of roles that they could then take the learning that you have collectively and then be sort of the data change agent in their respective. I'm thinking of, let's say, Ryan Rickabaugh, for example, who's been on the podcast recently a number of times, uh, that that's going to influence his efforts as part of the C team. Right. It, it affects his efforts, but it also, when he, he and Kim come, we're working on this with the seed team or our educator effectiveness rubrics or different pieces and parts of data. And then they can bounce ideas off us that are at the ESUs in the trenches working with the schools. And then we can also give them suggestions or asks from schools. And it just becomes, I think, much richer work because it does make those connections. Well said, Amy. <laughs> well, then I'm curious to look at this from, let's say, a district level conversation. So let's say that as part of the continuous improvement uh, in a district, we're going to focus on that MTSS work. And so how does the data cadre and this idea of data literacy for all, what needs to happen to help support MTSS work from that data lens? Am I asking that right? Yeah. Yeah. At RESU, we have Tessa Frost works for the Department of Education and MTSS. And so she knows that I am a part of the data cadre. And therefore, when we go to our schools, she might be going to a district to work on some MTSS. She invites me along and I come along and help work through some of the data and some of the accreditation pieces and parts. We support each other, I guess. It becomes the data cadre, in my mind, is a communication portal in a way. Everybody can come together and say, hey, I need help with this, or I don't understand that, or, ooh, I found a really cool thing that works this mm -hmm. way. And then everybody can collaborate and then take it back to support those different initiatives. The other thing I think we try, try to do with our collaboration is mitigate the need for districts to put their data in two or three places. I mean, I think it, it really helps that we have the NDE there, that partnership, so we can say you're doing MTSS. Oh, well, here's an MTSS template where you're entering your data. This can be your continuous improvement framework. You don't have to put data in two or three or four places because schools, like Amy said, do have more than enough data. The frustration becomes when they have the silos of this group's putting the data in here, this other group's putting the same data in another place. You know, everything has to go to the state and advisor there's NEP, there's MTSS, there's so many things that use the same data. And so the ability to talk through that, oh, well, they have it here, can this be used for that? And give them one place to put that data. I think that's a really good benefit of the communication of this group. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when the schools ask ESU folks about initiatives from NDE, 
then we can go to Data Cadre if we don't understand and filter the information, talk mm -hmm. through it with the Department of Education, help better understand it, and then we can go back to our districts and help better work with our districts and filter that information back to them. Well, okay, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball in here, but I'm curious to know when it comes to wearing the hat of being a part of the Data Cadre, in what instances do you end a day at work and go, gosh, that was a lot of fun? You know what I'm um, asking, I guess? You get what I'm like, like when you're able to like really nerd out in that role, which is something that I think all of us have our, our passions within our day-to-day -day rhythms. What is that you're getting in the car to drive home and you go, gosh, we did some great stuff with data today. I Do you want to go, Amy? I was just going to say, I, I really appreciate when I work with schools, they call me for school improvement or accreditation because at RESU, that's one of my roles. That's one of my areas of expertise. And when I go to a district and we have a data retreat, data day, and they, they sit together, they pull up their data, and I might give them some guiding questions to really get them to look at their data because... Unfortunately, a lot of districts have one person that looks at the data and, and disseminates the results and says, this is what it is. But when you can bring a group of educators together and say, okay, what, what do you see as your strengths? Now, why might that be? Finding the why is always very interesting too, you know, delving into to the data, finding the data that backs it up. And then seeing that light bulb come on. I know as a teacher, teachers always say, when you see that student and you just, you know, they've got it. And when you're sitting there with a group of educators and they're looking at data and all of a sudden that light bulb comes on because, ah, I get it. That's why it's the way it is. Or that data is backing this up. Then when I drive home in my car, that couple hours from that district or whatever, it, it really does do my heart good. And I really appreciate the data and having fun with data. I agree. I, th those data days with districts are fun and it is fun to see them. Look at that. And I usually use, there's a protocol, strengths, challenges, implications that I use all the time. So they're looking at a data set and they look through those lenses and they see things that might not just appear to them otherwise. And it's, it is, it's really, it's really fun. <laughs> well, and it is nerdy. You're right. It's nerdy. <laughs> oh, there's so many things that be nerdy is fun. I, I like doing that kind of <laughs> On, our, on a myriad of uh, different initiatives and pet projects. And what I'm hearing as you're sh sharing those examples is that this isn't us necessarily looking at data to justify an assumption that we had to begin with, right? I, I wrote a paper multiple times in my life, right? Where that was the case, but I just need to find a stat that backs this up. This is, <laughs> this is more saying, here's the data and then the three-part process that you just brought up there, I'm assuming, right? Like, like what are some of the strengths? What are some of the... Challenges. Challenges. Okay. And the uh, other implications. Implications. I love that. Yeah. And it does, you know, as a teacher, I've been in education, gosh, almost 30 years. And as a teacher, you lead with your heart and you, you feel that, and you just mm -hmm. know. And unfortunately, sometimes teachers say, well, it's that group of kids. There's nothing we can do. Right. But when you look at the data, it brings out, oh, no. Maybe it's not, maybe it's this, it dispels some of those, what do I want to say, mm -hmm. stereotypes or right. um, accusations that people might have of a school or a teacher or a whatever. And it truly brings out, I think the best in everyone, because when the data is there and you make the decision based on the data, instead of making the data fit the decision, right? it really does help. And when you talked about that, I, I thought of, so whenever I've started data work with teachers, 
you know, some teachers are afraid of it. It's like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. It's too much. I don't know where to start. And I'm always careful to say, and I always try to make a point to say, you know, you probably know in your gut what needs to be done in your classroom, right? You know, you need to improve math and you probably know that. So you need to trust. I just always want teachers to trust their gut to some extent. Look at the data with an open mind, but also know that it's not unapproachable. It's not something that's beyond what you're already doing. So teachers have a lot more, I think, intuitive feeling about what's going on in their classroom than they know. The data, though, can show them, you know, maybe you missed this group of kids or maybe this curriculum isn't done with fidelity or maybe, you know, something is interacting there that can help them, help their kids learn. That's all they want to do is help their kids learn, really. At the end of the day, that's their goal. So, and I think data can help them with that. Well, I'll tell you, just listening to those testimonials gets me fired up. I'm like, where do we sign up to be part of something (laughs) like that, where we can help teachers be better at their uh, craft, the art of teaching, right? And to back up some of those decisions and see some of those places where maybe it's not as obvious as some other pieces they might intuitively be dialed into. And so I know that the Data Cadre is interested in recruiting some new membership right at this point in time. Can we speak to that? We do. In the past, we've met once a month and it is via Zoom. We're changing that up a little bit through our revisioning. We will still meet once a month, but it will be as a whole data cadre every other month. So it'll be an hour of your time every other month. And then on the off months, you would meet an hour or so with a working group. And so basically what we're asking or what we're doing is those that are in the data cadre, we've come up with some action committees and they revolve around accreditation, accountability, assessment, and educator effectiveness, those four areas at this point. And so the commitment that that we would ask is that you could do an hour Zoom once a month as a whole cadre every other month and as a working group every other month. And you would get to choose which of those four areas you want to work on. And like I said, it's via Zoom. And then we try to have at least one face-to-face meeting mid-year, December-ish, give or take, to get everybody together. But we do have a website, and Andrew will have that listed in the show notes. But uh, it's a Google site for ESU Data Cadre. And when you scroll to the bottom of the homepage, there is a Contact Us link that Melissa Engel has graciously put on there. If you fill out that Google form and tell us that you're interested in joining, you will get added to the list. It's not... Anybody that wants to join is welcome. So we won't turn anyone away. If you are at an ESU and you want to join or even another NDE person that would like to get some information and join, please feel free to fill out that form. Yeah. And as you said, we'll be sure to share those at the link in the show notes where you can, again, as you just mentioned, Amy, uh, access email accounts to yeah get signed up. And Uh, So I'll take a moment here and just ask uh, each of you, is there something that we've not covered that we feel like should be a part of our conversation today that we'd maybe like to uh, make sure that we get into the conversation before we bring things to a close? I guess I'd just like to add that in my mind, the data cadre is not just one other thing that you have to do and something else to add to your plate. To me, it takes things off your plate because if you are working with data at an ESU anyway, and you're struggling or you need ideas from other people, this is just a great way to come together once a month, you know, talk about data, talk about what's, what's working, what's not, what we can move forward with. 
the agenda, even though Melissa and I are the co-chairs of this great group, the agenda is accessible by anyone. So if you have something that you're struggling with, something that you would like to talk about, then you can just add it to our monthly agenda uh, and we can help you out with that. So like I said, it's, it's something that should fit nicely right in with your work and a place to bounce ideas off each other and, and get some more support and information. I don't think I have anything to add, Andrew. Amy said it so well. She's so eloquent. No, it's all, it's great. It's a great group and it's become a huge resource for me to know who I can go to because anybody in that group, like I said, you just have to shoot them an email and you'll get tons of resources and, and links and things you can do ideas. And, and we should put a plug for our website too, that there are a lot of resources up yes. there. Also. So if, if anybody at an ESU or a district level is looking for resources for continuous improvement, for data with continuous improvement or data work within your school. There's a ton of links there to a lot of different things that they, that you can use. So, and you don't have to be a member to do that. So yeah. no, the website's the open. The website's open. The website's open. And all the Victoria Bernhardt stuff, we have permission to share. So it's up there and um, can be used by districts. That's terrific. And, uh, you know, just another fine example of how our ESU network statewide serves as, I would say, the middlemen and women who are uh, connecting <laughs> conversations both across, you know, our ESU level uh, in our system and then with our districts and NDE and just uh, in an effort to, as you both said, uh, just enhance teaching and learning and make everything fun. It's fun whenever uh, you see those connections made and light bulbs go off and uh, us all get better together. So Amy, Melissa, thank you so much for your time, for your leadership as part of this cadre and for sharing out. I've learned a lot from this conversation. I hope that others have as well. I appreciate having you on the pod. Thank you very much. Appreciate thank it. Thank you.